Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning, we wrap up the story of Nehemiah. And as much as I'd like to report that it ends on a high note, it seems that a dose of reality hits even now in the final chapter. As Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, having been gone long enough for the people to break their oaths with the Lord and shatter the covenant they made with their God. Thanks for listening this morning as we seek to find answers to our own failures in this concluding chapter of the book of Nehemiah. I invite you to take your Bibles out and turn to Nehemiah chapter 13. Uh, We're in the last and final chapter, the last installment in the series on Nehemiah. Uh, As we have studied so far, we've watched over the first six chapters as Nehemiah followed the Lord's leading. uh, The the desire that God had placed upon the heart of Nehemiah to go back and care for that which nobody was caring for. The walls of Jerusalem, God's holy city. He knew that it was a work that he was called to do. Following by faith and trusting through prayer, Nehemiah faced in these first few chapters much opposition. We saw week after week as to how we have to be like Nehemiah, those who trust by faith, following after God's will and not our own. For we know that if we are following after God's plan, we have nothing to fear for God's purposes will prevail. We then reached into kind of the last stage of the story of Nehemiah, where after the walls have been erected, uh, he came with the entire uh, community to rededicate their lives and their purposes to God. And to more than that, to put God at the very center of all that they would do. And the people, they, they, they came together under the scribe and the priest Ezra to declare an oath before God that they would follow God. Boy, I wish the story ended there. I wish it ended there because unless you've been in your own time reading ahead into Nehemiah chapter 13... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm seeing the very real way in which following after Jesus Christ is played out as evidenced by the fact that they were on a mountaintop of making oaths and pledges and life was good and God was at the center. And how long did you think that lasted? It didn't last. Because you and I, we live in a world of corruption. We, we live in a world hell-bent on getting you and I to worship anything else other than the true living God. You worship yourself. Follow after your own desires. What you want, right? Like Burger King. Have it. Yeah. I mean, that's what our culture tells us. Or maybe it's the almighty dollar. And you're ever uh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to get ahead a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. A wealthy man was once asked, how much is enough? And his answer was... Just a little bit more. Or maybe it's power. Or maybe it's fame, prestige. The world that we live in is going to cause you and I to want to place something else at the center and be drawn away. So so what do you do? What do you do when that happens? How, How was your week this last week? Anybody realize the reality of this world that you still have a... A flesh that's corrupted with a sin nature? Any, any show of hands with that one? How, how about uh, the devil? The lies of the evil one speaking to you? Well, you're not good enough. You'll never measure up. Anybody here working through uh, discouragement and depression? And how about this world and all that it seems to offer? Don't, 
bother turning on the news because you'll see all soon enough how very easy it is to want to get on the bandwagon of, of looking down on things and how miserable it is. And it's tough. I'm calling this message uh, for the failure of the community. And it's a little bit discouraging to put in there, but what we need to see this morning is that as we read through chapter 13, you will find that there's not something that's shared with you that's foreign from your own experience. But by God's willing, this morning, you might be able to see a snapshot of your own journey. And that we would, through recognizing a few observations from this text, know how you and I can face a world where we have those mountaintop experiences, where we feel close to God. And then how do we get through the valleys? How do we get through the mistakes? How do we get through the failures? My goal this morning as we finish things up is to offer for you one single point of application that we will see repeated through Nehemiah chapter 13. So with that, I invite you to look with me here as we begin. The page number is 772 in the Pew Bibles if you're following along. and uh, It's a little bit lengthy, so I would invite you to follow along if you can. Nehemiah chapter 13. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found, written, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but they had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and the temple articles. And also the tithes of grain, the new wine, and the oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, as well as a contribution for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked permission to come back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased, and I threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. Verse 10, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites... And the singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials. And I asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together, stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithe of grain and new wine and oil into the storerooms. I put Shalemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan son of Zakur the son of Mathaniah their assistant because these men were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their brothers. Remember me for this, O oh my God, 
I do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Verse 15. In those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. They were bringing all this to Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah. I said to them, what is this wicked thing that you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered that the doors be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and the sellers of all the kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them, And said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves. And go guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God. And show mercy to me according to your great love. Verse 23. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashad, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashad or the language of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them. I called down curses on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons. Nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that King Solomon of Israel sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you, too, are doing all this terrible wickedness And are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women. One of the sons of Joiada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Haranite. And I drove him away from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties each to his own task. I also made provision for the contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, O oh my God. You can see as we've walked through the story that this, this portion of it is not the kind that I enjoyed reading. I would have rather the story said and the people made a pledge to God and the singers and the the bands, they just continue night after night and day after day as praises to the Lord were raised unending from God's people. 
Wouldn't that have been nice? But Nehemiah recounts that in the narrative of this story, he goes back to Persia. Remember, originally as we began this book, he had asked the king Artaxerxes if he could have permission to leave and go back to this place of his fathers, this place where he wanted uh, to see treasured, to lift it up, the city of God. And now he goes back. But in Nehemiah's absence, we find that the people have begun to pollute themselves. They, they, they began to introduce something foreign into their lives. How about you? How about me? How? Sundays are pretty good, right? How do you feel coming to church? It's good to worship, right? It's good to be with the people of God, amen? It's, I, my favorite part is when we shake hands. We just need to extend that five more minutes, right? That's my favorite part of church. It's, a, it's, the, it's the preparation of the reunion of what heaven is going to look like. It's just the best. And your heart feels full. But then what happens when you leave? What happens when you're watching your favorite team and they start to go down by 14 points? How's your sanctification doing then? What about when the phone, phone rings and the doctor on the other side delivers the bad news? What? What about that reminder with that family member that you just can't get along with? What about when you open the mail and there's bill after bill after bill? And Does it feel like Sunday anymore? Have we somehow missed that the worship of God should continue with us throughout the week? What about all this business of the entry of foreign things into our lives? Does... Do you let things into your home that God wouldn't want into your home? Do you let things into your life that God wouldn't want into your life? Such that you have been pledged to one. You have been pledged to the true living God. How do you do through the week then? Staying faithful to this one that you've been pledged to. For you still wait for the consummation of your salvation. Right? Everybody here has corrupted bodies. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Catch anybody, right? That, that these bodies that we have still await resurrection. And the day of redemption for the adoption of sons and daughters is something that Paul even writes that says that all of creation is groaning for. We're waiting for this. You've been pledged to God. In the same way that here are these people. These people who have returned to Jerusalem, who want to put God at the center. They make an oath and they pledge themselves to God, but then when Nehemiah leaves... Failure, right? Failure. And so what do we do with it? That's our question we try to answer this morning. I want us to walk through just these six major sins that we've seen. Number one was this. It's the sin of the pollution of God's people. It shows up in verses 1 through 3. I want you to notice it's not without mistake that when Nehemiah begins this last chapter recounting everything that's going to happen, he starts out by recognizing conviction comes by hearing of what? Did you see it in verse 1? What is it? On that day... The book of Moses was read. That's right. They got out their Bibles. They heard the word proclaimed. And what they discovered is that they had been allowing these other peoples who had desecrated God's will, who had defiled God's purpose, who had not showed up to serve the people of God, but instead tried to call down curses on the people of God. They were having them act like they were the people of God, when in fact they weren't. Paul's going to write this in the New Testament. He'll say, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked, believers and unbelievers. 
you're going to find that you're going to have a, a core disagreement on where service belongs, where allegiance belongs. You don't mix the people of God with those that aren't the people of God. They, they read this. They hear that this is what God's word says. And in verse 3, they respond. Unfortunately, the text does not get explicit enough for us to understand if they're still wanting to reach those who are outside of the covenant. Because all it says is that they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Which seems to me to be maybe a little bit too severe. God's law doesn't say all. There were these certain peoples that you were supposed to have nothing to do with. And the reason is because their ideology, their philosophy, their val—excuse me, their values will come and they will influence your values. They will draw you away from the love of God. Does anyone find this true? Come on, be honest now. When you go to work and you're surrounded by people that want nothing to do with God, don't you feel influenced by that? Don't you feel that that's a hard place to stay faithful to God? And that you would want to stand up and you would want to proclaim, look, I'm a Christian. I, I not only go to church, but I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet, come on, be honest. When you're in those moments surrounded by other people that don't share that ideology, how loud are you? How vocal are you? We're, we're like a little church mouse. Beep, beep. Because the influence of those who don't share your love, they affect God's people. And yet you are called on this earth Hear me very loud and clear that the church of Jesus Christ is put on earth to reach those who don't know the love. You can't exclude yourself from all of them. But you need to obey when God says, don't make them part of your life. There's a difference between the love of God that would extend to those who don't know him and your participation to lose a distinction from being God's child. Have you heard this phrase before? You need to be in the world, but not of the world. Have you heard that before? That's the call that needs to go to us. But you'll see that at the very beginning here of Nehemiah, the thing that causes them to recognize their shortcoming, their sin, the pollution of intermingling those who have nothing to do with the love of God, it was found by conviction of God's word. It doesn't say that there was a census. It doesn't say that there was a... Uh, population uh, survey they heard they heard the word of God that was it they heard the word of God second sin that we see as we continue on here is the desecration of God's chambers verse 4 before this Nehemiah recounts Elias the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God you know I got a key to the church I got a key I can get in whenever I want my have a little party in here. <laughs> Look at all this space, right? We could get a, a disco ball going right there. Put, put up a bar up front somewhere, right? Get karaoke. What do you say, Chris? Can we book you guys? All right. <laughs> uh, look, you, you hold a key for God's house. You, you hold a key for that which is used to honor God. That's a heavy responsibility. Eliashib the priest was put in charge. Look what it says. Verse 4. He was closely associated with who? You guys remember Tobiah? He, he was one of those three guys that was continually against Nehemiah. 
I hear what you guys are doing. I think it was Tobiah that said, even if a fox jumped up on the wall, it would fall down. And now look what Eliashib does. Eliashib takes out all of the stuff that was used to worship God in the storeroom. See what it says? Formerly used to store the grain offerings, the incense, the temple articles, the tithe of grain, the new wine, the oil prescribed. And for all these people, this was used for. And Eliashib was like, yeah, man, clear out that stuff. I'm giving this room to Tobiah. He's my boy, man. He's, he's my guy. Get rid of all this stuff. Move it out. This is your place now, Tobiah. Here's the keys. It's all yours. It's a desecration. That which should be used for God. Nehemiah comes, he says that he, he hears about this in verse 7. He's greatly displeased. Look what he does in verse 8. Kind of like this. He threw all Tobiah's household, household, household goods out of the room. How would you like to have been there for that? I mean, hopefully, if you had been watching this happen, you know what Eliashib has done is wrong, right? Hopefully, you would recognize this shouldn't have been going on like this. And someone should, I'm not going to speak up. Oh, you say something. I'm not going to go against the high priest. Then Nehemiah shows up. He doesn't wait for permission. He clears house is what he does. Um, I kind of uh, have a, uh, it's not spiritual. This isn't right. But you know, like for uh, these people who um, have a relationship and then one of them cheats on the other and then the lady starts throwing everything out the door and out the window, right? Tossing it into the alley. He's like, come on, sweetie, but I, no, I mean, it's like, you're getting what you deserve, son, right? You're getting it right now. Imagine being there during that time. Tobiah is getting what he deserves. Nehemiah is cleaning out the house. And I want you to see what he says here. And this is important. Verse 9. He gave orders to what? To purify the rooms. To purify them. Because it belongs to who? It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to Eliashib. He he had the keys. It didn't belong to him. It wasn't up to him to say how it was used. It was up to God. It belonged to God. How about you? Who do you belong to? What what about the secret hidden chambers of your heart? Those those places that should be used to reserve worship for God. What are they filled with today? What are they being filled with Monday through Saturday? Maybe you need a Nehemiah to come and to, to clear house. Throw some of that to the curb. Not asking permission because it doesn't belong to you. Your life doesn't belong to you. If you've been purchased by the blood of Christ... You, just like the chambers of the temple, you belong to God. All right, let's take a look at the third one. Verses 10 through 14. Now we have the neglect of God's house. And this is where all of these things that were stored here, they were used to serve God's people. Right? Portions have been set aside for the Levites and for the singers, right? But look what happened. They're not, they're not being given to them in verse 10. And so what do these people do? It says they go back to their... Do you see it? They go back to their own fields. Right at the end of verse 10. Look, the the church doesn't have enough to provide us. I I can't make a living here. And so singer after singer starts leaving. Right, Levite after Levite starts leaving. And pretty soon, who's left? What happened to the people who were serving here? They're gone. Because the house of God is being neglected. And so he recognizes this. I want you to see his response in verse 13. What does he do? You see what he does? He puts trustworthy people in charge. 
Shelemiah, Zadok, Pedadiah, Hanan. I don't know these guys. They, he knew them. Right? Maybe you could list some names of some people that, you know, I know we can trust. And I know we can trust these guys. We're, we're going to put them in charge. We're going to give them the keys. So that things get set right and they're done properly. All right, number four is this, the abuse of God's Sabbath. This one wasn't hard to miss, right? Everybody kind of caught this one. Uh, starts in verse 15. Notice how verse 15 starts again. In those days, right? Nehemiah's counting everything that had been going on when he was gone. Treading the wine press on the Sabbath. I'm working. You don't understand. I can't schedule me any other time. This is when I got to go. Uh, wine, grapes, figs, other kinds of loads bringing into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Hey, you know, this is supposed to be God's day. Yeah, God will understand. We got to get the shipment in. My boss is waiting. He wants results. Uh, men from Tyre, uh, the surrounding region. Uh, not regular worshipers here in Jerusalem. The men from Tyre, they're bringing in fish. They usually come from, uh, come from the seaside in Phoenicia. Merchants selling on Jerusalem all kinds of stuff. Can you imagine? You guys know when you go on vacation somewhere and they've got the little shops. I mean, goodness sakes, we've got little shops, right? Uh, oh, UP is kind of a tourist tra- trap for some folks, right? And, and as they're coming up here, they, they look and they oh, let's buy this little copper thing and let's get this next little snowshoe thing, right? Because... That's what you do, right? Look at all this great stuff. That's one of uh, my wife and I's favorite things to do, going to little shops, look at, not spend money, mind you, but just look around, right? Anybody else with me there? Just look around. Visa doesn't seem to help with that. I- imagine what this must have been like in Jerusalem. Seven days a week now, you can come. Sail all day. Sabbath day. Oh, you mean Chick-fil-A's open on Sunday now? Anybody, Chick-fil-A is not up here, but they're closed on Sundays. And they're breaking the Sabbath. So what does Nehemiah do? Do you see his response in verse 19? The evening shadows fall. I'm going to shut the doors. The merchants out there. Come on, let's go. We got a load to unload. Look what he says to them. They're spending the night outside in verse 20. Uh, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. That does, that's not spiritual, laying on of hands, right? It's not what that is. In fact, I might want to submit to you that that's probably not a very good response. And that Nehemiah may be getting kind of to the end of his rope. You guys know what I'm talking about? Look, I've had enough of this business. You are not to be doing these things. And that when, when insurrection against God, when disobedience against God continues and continues and continues, those who are faithful to Him, they start to develop what's called in Scripture a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. Can you remember a story of Jesus as He's coming into the temple on a Sabbath day? And as he's walking through, he's kind of having to make his way around these tables where everybody's trying to say, hey, i got to stay on doves. i got to stay on sheep over here. And hurry up. Only limited supply. Act now. And what does Jesus do? Jesus kind of does a little bit like Nehemiah. It gets, gets a little violent with him. He takes the tables, turns them over. 
If you've seen any of this depicted in a Hollywood film, I, I, I hope you catch that slow motion moment as the coins tumble through the air and then fall because he says, my house, God's house, is to be a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. That, that's not new to Jesus' time. It's happening right now. They're abusing the Sabbath. They're not obeying God. Two more. Uh, verse 23 through 27. The breaking of God's covenant. You'll find in verse 23 that they stopped caring about a nationalistic purity for the sake of their faith. Man, did you have you seen the Moabite women? Woo! Have you seen how pretty they are? Hey, you you know what God said about that though. You know what God's law is. Yeah, don't worry about that. Ain't nobody here anymore. The Levites are gone, right? Nobody's going to enforce it. And what do they start doing? They, they, they start bringing in uh, these outside influences. These foreign influences that don't belong with the people of God. And as they do so, it's not just their influence. But do you see what he says? Now their own people don't even know how to speak their own language anymore. Nehemiah's response to this, I also think, is not the best. He says in verse 25, I rebuke them. Right? We all know what that means. That's getting a tongue lashing. That's getting a, a dressing you down. I'm, I'm, whatever the idiom is that you would use. But then what's he do? Calls down curses on them. That for you might seem a little out of place, but it's not. We're going to see why in just a moment. But then he starts beating some of them and pulling out their hair. Righteous anger. This is, I've had enough. I've had enough. Last one I want you to see comes at the very end. Uh, Joadiah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat. Remember Sanballat? So once again, you've got now those who are functioning in the highest level of service to God, the high priesthood, as being overcome by these guys. See, Tobiah and Sanballat, they were patient. They were patient and they got their way. Is that not how the devil works? You might be strong today, you might be strong tomorrow, but oh, I'll wait my time, I'll tie my time here and I'll eventually wear you down. And if you can remember all the way back in the Nehemiah, those first chapters, that's what Tobiah was doing. That's what Sanballat was doing. Trying to stop the work of God. And Nehemiah leaves and these two who have been very patient guess what? They have now positioned themselves to do exactly that. We're going to shut things down in Jerusalem. Look at Nehemiah's response. End of verse 28. I drove him away from me. I want you to see very lastly here in verse 30, what's the last thing he does? So he concludes the book. I, what's the verb? I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign assigning them duties each to his own task. All right, so what do we do with this? I, I want to offer you uh, three conclusions this morning. I've got to be honest with you, I had a hard time with this. I have uh, 15 conclusions, but I thought maybe we didn't have time for 15. So I have boiled that down to three, uh, but maybe in Bible study, um, week after next, we'll cover some of this. But number one is this, the absence of God's word leads to disobedience. And you got to write that down. The absence of God's word will lead to disobedience. Ah, uh, pastor, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not much for reading. 
That's fine. You need to understand that if you put God's Word up on the shelf, you have just opened the door for disobedience. Do you remember how it started? The whole chapter 13 started because they were unaware of what they were supposed to do. They didn't even know until they heard it. I bet we're in the same boat. I bet there are things that you don't even know that you and I should be doing as Christians because we haven't seen it yet in God's Word. And if you don't see it, disobedience will be happening. The Apostle Paul says this about the law. He says that the law was given to make sin look sinful. For I would not have even known what coveting was until the law said, thou shalt not what? Don't covet. Ah, now that I know, I recognize sin for what it is. Because it's been there the whole time. If you want to be disobedient to God, just don't read your Bible. It's that simple. The opposite of this will also be true. I put this verse up here. Psalm 119.11. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart. Didn't even leave it on the desk or the shelf or the doorway of my pickup. I hid it in my heart. Because the absence of God's word will lead to disobedience. Number two is this. Without godly leadership... We will repeat the sins of the past. What's the qualification here for leadership? Godliness. It's not position, not, not power, not income, not prestige, not fame. It's not even age. Paul will write to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, that the overseers, the people who are in charge of the church, they must be above reproach. And then he makes this long list for elders. Husband of one wife, hospitable and kind, not given to drunkenness, not greedy for money, able to teach. Not a recent convert, otherwise he might get conceited, right? If, if he just became a Christian, he might think, boy, look at this, now I'm an elder. <clears throat> he says, you'll fall under the same temptation of the devil. You must have a good reputation with outsiders. All of that, that whole list is godliness. And there's a passage in Psalms that I want to show you talking about the king. Look at the qualifications right here. It says, Endow the king with your justice, O God. The royal son with your righteousness. It doesn't say CEO of a major company. It doesn't say millionaire, billionaire. Justice and righteousness are the qualifications. May he judge your people in righteousness. Your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people. The hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people. Save the children of the needy. May crush the oppressor. Look, without godly leadership, we will repeat the sins of the past. And I might just have you look to your own home. Talking to the husbands, to the fathers right now. If you're not pursuing God as priority number one, not as church as something additional to add to my life, but God as number one, you as the leader of your home, will find that you're going to end up repeating the, the sins of the past, the sins of your father, sins of your grandfather. You need to pursue godliness, righteousness, Christ-likeness, making him number one. All right, the third point is this. Unrepentant sin leads to more sin. Unrepentant sin leads to more sin. The sin of pollution was where we started, right? But is that where we ended in chapter 13? 
Was it just one? He just needed to tweak this little problem and everything was fixed? Or was it as Nehemiah found out problem after problem after problem? Because when sin goes unrepentant, when you fail to come back to the foot of the cross and to confess your sins, to bow your head before the one true God and find that I have been humbled in my spirit, to confess before you I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I've sinned against God. By what I have done, by what I've left undone, my words and my thoughts and my deeds. If you're not humble to do that, don't think for a moment that the things you're struggling with right now are going to stay right now. They're going to get worse. Everybody hear me this morning? They're going to get worse because unrepentant sins, they lead to more sins. I want you to see what this looks like in Psalm 32. The psalmist writes this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord doesn't count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, what he's talking about there is I'm not confessing anything. I'm just, hey man, how's your Christian walk going? Oh man, I'm fine. Man. No problems here. I'm good. No sin here. Don't look too close. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Verse 5 is awesome though. Check it out. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's awesome, right? Give me an amen from that. Isn't that awesome? It's so simple, church. And it's so hard for us to admit when we've sinned against God. For the majority of us here, we would even just fail to even want to look. I don't even want to look at my heart. Uh Uh-uh. Don't look in there. Stop that. Stop the pride. Stop the fear. You know what? It doesn't matter what any man or woman thinks of you. The foot of the cross has space for you. There's room available for you at the table of God. Don't be a hard-hearted person. Confess your sins. Here's the last thing I want to leave you with. There's a solution to this. Remember the failure? Anybody resonate with failure? Anyone identify? Yeah, I kind of see. Ah, there were mountaintop experiences, but man, those valleys, they still come in this world, in this flesh, and the devil is still there. So here's the solution. It's the same thing Nehemiah did. It's purification. Did you catch it? Did you see it? Go with me one last time into chapter 13. Verse 9, what does he do? I gave orders to purify the rooms. Look with me in verse 22. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves. Finally, look with me into verse 30. So I purified the priests. That's the solution, is purification. The thing is, you can't do it on your own. Here's how you do it. 1 John 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? And purify us from all unrighteousness. Hosea chapter 6. Tom read it for us this morning. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. 
but he will heal us. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray this morning?